0: Welcome to Seeing Beyond Risk, a podcast series from the Canadian Institute of Actuaries. I'm Chris Wally, Actuary, Communications and Public Affairs at the CIA. Thank you for listening to today's episode. We'd like to remind you that we have plenty of past episodes, so please subscribe and catch up on some that you might have missed. We can be found on Spotify, Apple Podcasts and your favourite podcast platform. The Joint Risk Management section has been a great example of different actuarial organizations collaborating on topics of mutual interest. To tell us more about this section and how the CIA has been involved, we're joined by CIA members Ariel Weiss and Daniel Klein, who serve as section chair and vice chair, respectively. Thanks very much for coming on the podcast today.
1: Thanks for having us. Thank you for having us.
0: So to start off, can you just maybe provide a brief introduction for each of you?
1: Absolutely. My name is Ariel Wise. As you said, I'm an actuary, a fellow of the Canadian Institute of Actuaries. I'm currently working for a life insurance company in the US and in the past I've worked for quite a few companies across various geographies, namely the US, a lot in Canada, the UK, as well as Argentina. That's where the accent comes from if you were wondering. And as you mentioned as well in the intro, I have the privilege right now of being the current chair of the GRMS Council at the time of this recording and with me we also have daniel
2: thank you ariel my name is daniel klein and as ariel mentioned i am the vice chair of the jrms professionally i am an actuary both in fcia and fsa as well as a cfa charter holder with over 20 years of deep life insurance experience My passion for risk management arose through my work in more traditional actuarial areas, such as valuation and product development, where I kept seeing the same question pop up. How do we best manage risk to maximize insurer's success? In my career, I've been fortunate to be a member of exceptional teams, different Canadian life insurers, both big and mid-sized. And I've also seen the work done through a consultant's lens. Recently, I completed the IFRI certification, which helped propel me into 2023 on sound footing, given the IFRS 17 accounting regime that's gone live this year. And I'm really committed to lifelong learning, and I do also push that in the mentoring that I do. And of course, I'm a strong believer in volunteering, and that is what brings us here today. I've been a strong advocate for volunteering, both at the CIA and the SOA for many years.
0: That's good to hear. So let's talk about the joint risk management section now. I know that it's unique in that it involves a number of different actuarial organizations. So can you just bring us up to speed on who participates in this and how you have it structured?
1: Of course, the JRMS is a joint effort between the CAA, the SOA and the CAS. The section is really structured very similar to all the other SOA sections, given that its platform is leveraging the SOA infrastructure for a lot of the stand up. There's, like other sections, a membership fee that's very nominal that members can pay every year to belong to it. And in return, members receive newsletters, updates, anything that's content related to risk management. And really, the money collected in the end is mostly spent on research on risk management topics. And the section focuses a lot of its efforts as well on coordinating sessions and webcasts and articles and other types of content for those risk professionals that are members and also for risk professionals that maybe should be members.
2: And I will add that given that the section is jointly sponsored by the SOA, the CIA, and the CAS, it really is the SOA section that I would say is most accessible to non-SOA members who are interested in or are practicing in the ERM space.
0: So what are some of the main activities and priorities that the uh, Joint Risk Management section pursues?
2: The purpose of the JRMS is to further education in the area of risk management and encourage research and development of leading risk management techniques. And so to support that vision, we have kind of several key activities that we regularly conduct. We have a regular cadence of our section newsletter where we have contributing authors share their expertise on leading edge topics. We help run periodic webcasts targeted to ERM practitioners where we have exceptional guest speakers join and share their knowledge. We are active contributors at major actuarial conferences where we pull together sessions that focus on contemporary risk management topics. We host an e-library of relevant books which we regularly review and update and these are accessible by our members through our section website. We have the research that we sponsor, which Ariel mentioned, and that's research focused on the ERM space. And we also have other resources scattered around on our section website. And I invite all our listeners to peruse the website and see the amazing benefits that section membership offers.
1: That's a wonderful answer. I'll summarize it a little bit as well, that it really is focused on the two pronged approach of helping with uh, continuing education development on ERM for risk practitioners and pushing the boundaries of our knowledge on ERM through research.
0: Now, I know that risk management can cover a lot of different areas, so I'm just wondering, do you focus a lot of time on traditional insurance and pension risks, or do you get into other risks as well? I know you mentioned enterprise risk management, so just maybe give us a sense of the different areas that the section will look at.
1: That's an interesting thing to ask, because we're definitely focused on the traditional insurance and pension risks. We don't leave those aside, you know, mortality, longevity, et cetera. But the joint risk management section is truly focused on a broader risk definition than just the traditional risk that actuaries have looked at since actuaries have existed over the last couple hundred years. And I would say that a lot of the research proposals, for instance, that we've seen come in recent years have really been more focused on climate change and cyber risk and operational risk. There's a lot of talk right now about AI with the advent of chat GPT and GPT-4 and large language models. And so we try, within our section council and within the research council and the membership at large, we truly do try to reach out to experts on the topics that are on hand that are either the big risks of today or emerging risks in the future and help them research those further while also producing content that the rest of our section can consume so they can themselves prepare better for all these risks. I think I would say we're more broadly focused than just traditional insurance risk.
2: I would just extend the consideration for what our membership looks like given that we've got actuaries that practice in the life and health space or in general insurance or on the pension side. Certainly a lot of our material that we look at, that we sponsor in terms of research, any articles that we produce. These are all providing service to our members who work in those areas. But given that the risk space has really expanded over the last few years, and you've mentioned some examples there, we can't ignore the impact or sometimes the knock-on impacts that those risks have to those practicing in more traditional areas. And so we're doing a service by both addressing more traditional risks and looking at more emerging risks that it is harder and harder for actuaries not to consider in their day-to-day work.
0: I know we've been talking about enterprise risk management for probably 20 years, maybe more now, and one of the original ideas was that it would be an opportunity for actuaries to break out of the traditional areas and apply their skills into perhaps like companies like manufacturers and such. Are we actually seeing that happen? Are we seeing more opportunities for actuaries in these non-traditional fields?
1: Let me start by saying that I think it depends on who you ask. So the next few sentences are going to be my personal view on where ERM is at for actuaries. And I think over the last 20 years, we've matured a lot, at least in North America, especially in North America, Europe as well. And that's percolated throughout other geographies, too, in terms of our ability to be risk managers beyond our traditional roles. So in terms of seeing more opportunities for actuaries in non-traditional fields, I think that's happening. Uh, we would have to define, at the risk of sounding pedantic, what non-traditional really means. If we think about traditional valuation roles, then definitely we've expanded quite a lot. We have more presence throughout the rest of insurance companies, pension funds, etc. cetera. I think there's also been an expansion of actuarial opportunities outside of insurance and pensions. I don't think it's quite at the level that, as a professional, we would like to have in terms of participating in non-insurance or pension-related fields because we probably have a lot more that we could potentially give in those fields given our training, our preparation, our education, and just our general practice and philosophy. And as a profession, we could be doing more. Now, if you ask me what's more we could be doing, I don't know that I have an answer to the question for you right now, but I think we could and should be doing more to get involved in those fields that are in actuarial nature from a risk management perspective. I really like to think about ERM as an extension of our actuarial toolkit where we take all of that knowledge and wisdom and apply it to things that are not traditional, mortality, longevity, et cetera, risks. So to go back to your original question, I think we are slowly seeing more opportunities for actuaries in non-traditional fields. But I don't think that we've nearly scratched the surface enough on what we could do to expand as a profession and bring our services to those different industries and fields.
2: When I look back at the last 10 or 15 years in the ERM space, I would acknowledge that actuaries have seen incredible gains in their toolkit, techniques and technology that they can apply, and also the overall acceptance that traditional organizations such as in insurers and pension plans now have for the ERM work that's done. That's been a bit of a revolution in this corner of the actuarial market. And so that's given us a competitive advantage that we can then take outside of those types of organizations. But at the same time, we continue to see a lot of change happen very quickly in other fields that are somewhat adjacent to the actuarial ones, such as, let's say, data science, predictive analytics, And so the toolkit that our competition would have in those other organizations have also expanded. And so what this all means is there's an added challenge of keeping up with your professional development and and keeping your foot on the gas pedal and continuing to learn and making yourself relevant. And in that way, you really do provide yourself an opportunity to be applicable in other areas. And so, yes, I've seen actuaries cross sort of the wall of non-traditional fields, but I think it's it's always a kind of a work in progress as we see the developments in terms of tools and technology.
0: I'd like to get your thoughts on how actuaries should adjust their work in response to big changes in the risk environment. And to give you a more recent example, we had COVID three years ago that kind of turned everything upside down. In that case, you know, what impact did something like COVID have on ERM practices based on what you've seen?
2: So in an ideal world, ERM would be a a kind of one size fits all approach. It would work when things are going well and it would continue to work when the world seems upside down. We'd love to nail down an approach or a framework that gathers all inputs on known risks and emerging risks and it maps it against your internal environment at your organization and you magically have clear direction on how best to respond to the risks, to set controls and and improve controls, et cetera. But the reality is that each crisis, or uh, I kind of think of it as a perturbation in the environment, it's framed as being different from anything we've seen before. That's kind of how we always hear it. I would say a long time ago, an actuary would have needed 30 years of experience to say that they have a track record that's long enough to have seen and experienced more than one crisis. But that's not true today, right? Things happen fast. You can just go back to the dot .com bust of 2000 which was not long after that, followed by the financial crisis and Great Recession of 2007 to 2009. We've gone from Web 2.0 to Web 3.0, the recent challenges for financial institutions in the crypto space, AI aspirations and the fears that come out of that, you know, the fears for the, the safety of humanity, if you want to take it all the way to the extreme, the current banking crisis, climate change. And obviously, as you mentioned, COVID, right, these things are happening faster and faster and more frequently. and. As ERM practitioners, you feel like you have to be on your tip of your toes and being able to respond quickly. So one obvious mechanism where changes in the risk environment cause this adaptation in ERM practices is through this healthy feedback of of the data, Um, because not all crises occur overnight, right? So there is time for organizations to cut losses or change course and respond. COVID is a great example. It's recent. It's in a very much in an space that actuaries are very knowledgeable comfortable working in and you know the data has been really good relative to maybe data we would have seen on let's say a pandemic in 1918 so we've got all these advantages so actuaries were hastily reviewing their pandemic models early on in covid to see if their stress testing assumptions were adequately capturing excess deaths the cia itself was very active in this space i recall there being six reports that started in 2020 and regularly updated into 2022 that provided actuaries with updated information really on how mortality was trending. And that is that part of that feedback loop that helps ERM practitioners respond accordingly. You know, from my observations, actuaries need to be hyper-attuned to quality data sources and use that to be able to assess the risk environment as that changes and continue to ensure there are no critical gaps in risk management. I'll finish with this thought. It's a quote from Churchill, where he said that you never let a a good crisis go to waste. Now, I'm not sure as actuaries we would ever be comfortable labeling an adverse event as a good crisis, but there are opportunities in tough times, such as building out a better risk culture, increasing transparency and discipline in decision-making, improving your understanding of your organization's risk profile, and also understanding what are its trigger points so you can respond accordingly.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. I recall that if you listen to people in the risk management space in the years leading up to 2020, they were saying for a very long time, a pandemic is a risk that's out there. And I think a lot of us were saying, yeah, yeah, it's a possibility. But I don't know if we really actually thought we would see it happen. So I like, guess a big part of just trying to think ahead of uh, the things you don't want to think about it and anticipate uh, how you would react to that.
1: You're absolutely right, Chris. and And I think Daniel, Nailed this one with his answer. I would like to add that, first of all, I agree with everything that he said. And secondly, which is good because daniel and I have to work together for the JRMS. But uh on a personal level, I think a lot of what I heard is the toolkit that actuaries have is a toolkit that can be applied in the different risk environments that we find ourselves in. And it's just a matter of recognizing that and going back to what we know and what we can do so we can help our various institutions and the public navigate those changes that we're all going through. The one item I I really wanna add to the answer to this question, because I think it's a really key question and thank you for asking it again, is that a lot of actual work over the last century has involved calculation of some form or another. Without computers, it was manual. With computers, it was either using spreadsheets or actual software. And I think we're at a point where technology has really caught up to a lot of human capabilities for any kind of repeatable process. And we really should be pushing to leverage that as a profession and trying to peel away from any kind of calculator role that we may may have had in the past and move further into the analytics and insight that Daniel was very eloquently elaborating on
0: Okay. Well, I'm hoping our discussion today has inspired some listeners to get more involved with risk management. So if anybody is interested in getting involved with the joint risk management section, uh, how can they go about that?
1: The simplest answer is to do a quick Google search for the SOA JRMS. That's how you're going to find the website. And then just join the section. There's a nominal fee. You get added to the distribution list. That's the simplest answer. The better answer it really is find our contact information, Daniel, myself, or anyone else that's currently involved with the gender risk management section, and reach out. Let us know what you want to volunteer on. Let us know if you want some help with a research project. Let us know if you have an idea for a research project, but you don't know where to get started on. Tell us that you want to host or moderate or coordinate a session for a webcast or a presentation in person. Tell us what topics you want to see. We really thrive on those members of the section that are active in either giving us feedback or participating in shaping the future of the section. And really, at the end of it, what we want to try to start accomplishing more and going into the future is generating a sense of community across the risk practitioners, whether they're members of the section or not. But of course, we would like all of them to join.
2: And I will. Add that we are always looking for members across the spectrum of practice so both life and PNC actuaries we invite all to reach out to us the involvement with the council does start at just becoming a member but as Ariel mentioned there's the, the volunteering that you can do you can run for council but you can also become a friend of a council where you get all the added benefits of being dialed into council meetings and decision-making taking on volunteering roles without actually running in an election. We're always looking for great people who are motivated to join us, and we'd be happy to hear from you if you are one of those.
0: Great. Well, that was a lot of really interesting information, so thanks again to both of you for coming on the podcast today.
1: Thanks for having us. Thank you, Chris.
0: Just a reminder that if you have ideas for a future episode or you would like to contribute to our Seeing Beyond Risk blog, we would love to hear from you. Contact information can be found in the show description. Until next time, I'm Chris Pivoli, and thank you for tuning in to Seeing Beyond Risk.